This morning we're going to consider the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through to verse 37. A lawyer asked the Lord Jesus Christ a very important question. He said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus straight away directed him to God's law. The lawyer then quoted the summary of God's law. Jesus confirmed that he had given the right answer and he said to him, This do and thou shalt live. The lawyer, seeking to justify himself, asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Whereupon the Lord responded by telling him about a Samaritan who rescued a man who had been left dead, left for dead by robbers. First of all, we can look at the lawyer's question to Jesus. Very important question. Look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? When the lawyer asked that question, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We are told that he was tempting or testing Jesus. To understand how he might have been tempting Jesus, it's worth bearing in mind that previously in chapter 10, we we don't need to go through it all now, but previously in this chapter, Jesus had sent out 70 of his disciples to heal the sick and to say to people, the kingdom of God is nigh unto you. When the disciples returned, Jesus spoke to them privately, according to verse 23. However, prior or before that private discussion, the 70 disciples had joyfully reported back to Jesus that the demons had been subject to them in Jesus' name. Very significantly, in verse 20, Jesus replied, Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There was nothing wrong with the disciples rejoicing about the subjection of evil spirits to them in Jesus' name or by the power of Jesus, but their eventual death would bring to an end that kind of joy. It was a temporary joy. However, the fact that their names were written in heaven, in other words, the fact that they had been chosen by God, this is what it means to have your name written in heaven, that the fact that their names, uh, they had been chosen by God for salvation and for everlasting life was far greater than having authority over demons. Think about it. Even Judas Iscariot was given authority to cast out demons, but his name most certainly was not written in heaven. Coming back to the lawyer in verse 29, we are told that he was willing to justify himself. 
In other words, he was self-righteous and he was trusting in his own works and in his own law-keeping in order to secure everlasting life for himself. That's why he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was thinking it was all about him keeping the law, doing this and doing that. And that comes across very clearly in that question when he says, what shall I do? His ears probably pricked up when Jesus said to his 70 disciples, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. A person whose name A person whose name is written in heaven, as I say, he's been chosen by God for salvation before the foundation of the world. God made that choice. And such people, they're loved with an everlasting love. And in the fullness of time, <clears throat> they're drawn to Jesus with loving kindness. But the lawyer was more interested in what he should do. As such, those words from Jesus certainly do not teach that salvation and everlasting life are achieved by works of the law. They wouldn't have been of any interest to the lawyer. He wouldn't have liked hearing it. Therefore, when the lawyer tempted Jesus by saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He was seeking an opportunity to reprove Jesus to correct Jesus for what he considered to be the faulty teaching of the incarnate Son of God. What is he talking about? Names written in heaven. It's about what I must do to inherit eternal life. Although the lawyer said, Master or Sir, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? in order to show that, as he wrongly imagined, obedience to the law on his part was necessary. He wanted to draw that out of Jesus, that actually obedience to the law is necessary for him, for you, for me, in order to um, earn for yourself eternal life. So he was looking to make Jesus stumble over his teaching. Although the lawyer said these things, Master, what must I do? It was actually a good question that he asked Jesus. He was essentially asking Jesus how he could escape hellfire and go to heaven. And the tragedy is that people do not generally ask about such things. How often do people ask, what must I do to get eternal life? Not often. People are more likely to consider what they might like to eat or to drink and have a discussion about those things or maybe talk about where they might like to go on holiday if indeed they're ever able to go on holiday again. We can look at the answer that Jesus gave and the lawyer's response to Jesus. Look at verses 26 through to 28. He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? 
And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So bear in mind, Jesus, he realised that, well, this lawyer, he wants to know what he has to do to inherit the inherit eternal life. Okay, I'll direct him to the law. What does the law say? And the lawyer correctly answered what the law says. Or at least the summary of the law. The two great commandments of the law. The, the first of those great commandments is about loving God with your whole being. And then the second great commandment is to love your neighbour as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on those two great commandments. Those commandments that place on us a duty of love towards God and towards our neighbour. So the lawyer answered correctly when he said what the law says. Jesus said to the lawyer, and he says to you, this do, and thou shalt live. The problem is that all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. If all have sinned, then all have broken God's laws. You're trying to keep a law that you've broken. By virtue of the fact that you and I are sinners, we cannot keep God's laws. Because we are lawbreakers. Which means that all, including the lawyer, have failed to love God with our entire being. The lawyer and we have failed to love our neighbour as ourselves. In fact, the natural unconverted man or woman or child is hostile towards God. Far from loving God with our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, there is enmity against God, a hostility towards God. People are more inclined to, to wave their fists towards heaven and to blame God for everything in this world that is going, as they see it, going wrong. As for loving our neighbour as ourselves, does anyone in here really do that? Love your neighbour as yourself. Love our neighbour as ourselves. Tell that to the 200,000 babies who are aborted each year in the UK alone. Tell those babies that you love the Lord, your, that you love your neighbour as yourselves. Even the sweetest and gentlest of people are sinners who do not fulfil the law's demands. However, the good news is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I know I'm coming across a little bit harsh here. I really want to labour the truth that we are all sinners. Because Christ Jesus, when he was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die, he wasn't doing this for good people. And if you think you are a good person, you do not need Jesus. 
You really don't. And you, you know, you've just got no need of the Bible or anything. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, I certainly don't need Jesus because he died on a cross for sinners. Having quoted the summary of God's law, what the lawyer should have done at that point was give up any thoughts of outsmarting the incarnate Son of God, the infinitely wise Son of God. And he should have acknowledged that he had failed miserably to keep God's laws. And he should have fallen prostrate at the feet of Jesus with a broken heart and with tears in his eyes as he cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But he didn't. And that takes us to our next consideration. The lawyer sought to justify himself. Look at verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbour? There was no mention of God in the lawyer's answer. Love God with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Well, I guess the lawyer must have really thought that he loved God with his whole being. And so he focused on the second of those two commandments there. Who is my neighbour? As such, the lawyer endeavoured to define neighbour very narrowly, which is something that we can all do very easily. After all, if neighbour just means family members and your closest friends, but not your enemies, loving your neighbour may actually appear to be doable. Something that you can achieve. Depends how narrow you want to define neighbour. Jesus had something to say to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44, about loving your neighbour as yourself. He said to them, Ye have heard that it have been said, it have been said in Jewish tradition this is, not in God's law. So Jesus was quoting Jewish tradition here. Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. As can be seen in those words, Jewish tradition had butchered God's law. Not only had the Jews omitted, as yourself, love your neighbour, as yourself. They'd left out the as yourself bit. They added to the law permission to hate your enemies. As the Jews saw it, if anyone was not a Jew, he was considered to be an enemy and was to be hated. And that included Samaritans, and that's really significant in this passage. The Samaritans, they weren't Jews, therefore they were hated by the Jews. However, Jesus says, love your enemies. How applicable that is now. We live in a part of the world where it is becoming increasingly frowned upon to be patriotic. To identify as English or Manx or whatever nationality you happen to be. And you are likely to be considered a racist if you want your country to be or to remain independent. 
However, there is nothing wrong with patriotism as long as it does not give way to hatred of other nations. The Jews were guilty of that. Nothing wrong with being proud to be a Jew. But that doesn't mean hating everyone else, the other nations. As it is, there is a lot of hatred in the world between different different nations, and by that I mean ethnic groups. A lot of hatred. And it isn't for nothing that Jesus has said that nation will rise against nation. And we see that in our times. You are not to hate other ethnic groups and nations. You are not to hate the French. But what about individuals? Are you you to love literally everyone? Well, to, to answer that one, what saith the scriptures? Most of you are familiar with the passage that has the words, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The psalm is speaking to God there. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Those words come from Psalm 139 in the Old Testament, and I've quoted those words quite often when I've been out um, demonstrating or protesting against abortion, and I quote those that verse to show that God knitted us together in our mother's wombs and that we're not just products of conception in our mother's wombs. We're actually living beings, living human beings in our mother's wombs, made by God. But did you know that in that very same psalm, the psalmist also says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? The psalmist hates them that hate the Lord. Well, let me just read the Bible commentator John Gill's explanation of those words. He said, Wicked men are haters of God, of his word, both law and gospel, of his ordinances, ways and worship of his people, cause and interest. And therefore good men, in other words Christians, we're not actually good in and of ourselves, good in as much as we belong to Jesus. He is the one who is good. So therefore good men hate them, not as men, as the creatures of God and as their fellow creatures, whom they are taught by the gospel to love, to do good unto and pray for, but as haters of God, and because they are so, not their persons, but their works. Coming back to our passage and to the lawyer's question, and who is my neighbour? Jesus said to him in verse 30 through to 36, and this is where we get the account of the Um, Good Samaritan. Let's read it again. Verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment 
and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, a Levite is someone who who served the priest, he helped the priest in the priestly duties. So, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. In other words, the two religious Jews, the two priestly Jews, they walked past the man who was left for dead. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again I will repay thee. Which now of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the the much-hated Samaritan, Thinkest thou was neighbour unto him that fell among thieves? Right, so, a man had been left for dead by robbers. The two religious Jews passed by, they did nothing to help. But then the Samaritan, as who, as I've already said, would have been hated by the Jews, hated by the lawyer who was hearing this, the Samaritan helped that poor victim. You can imagine how irked, how annoyed, and perhaps even how challenged the lawyer would have been when hearing about the good deed of a Samaritan. The Samaritan took care of the victim's injuries at the scene of the crime. He then lifted him onto his own animal. He took him to an inn for further ongoing care. And that wasn't the end of it. He undertook to repay any expenses that would um, accumulate with the care of that man. The Lord Jesus Christ finished by asking, which now of these thinkest thou was neighbour unto him that fell among thieves? It's a pretty easy question to answer, isn't it? The lawyer answered, he that showed mercy on him. I don't know if the lawyer just simply couldn't bring himself to say the word the Samaritan. He couldn't bring himself to say that word. But he was right anyway. The one who helped the victim showed mercy on him. Finally, Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise. When the Lord Jesus Christ said to the lawyer in verse 37, go and do likewise, that takes us right back to the beginning of the passage. Look again at verse 26 through to 28. Having gone through this passage, right start at the beginning again. Verse 26. And he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. At that point, 
Instead of being willing to justify himself, the lawyer should have acknowledged that because of sin, he was not able to love God and his neighbour as he ought to. It was impossible for him. He was not able to keep the law and the best thing for him to have done would have been to cry out for mercy and forgiveness, but he didn't. And then in verse 37, when Jesus said, go and do likewise, do what the Samaritan did, the best thing for the lawyer to have done at that point would have been to cry out for mercy and forgiveness. Whether or not he did, I don't know. No idea. Last of all, when I became a Christian, I received various gifts at my baptism, including a recorded sermon on this passage that we've just been considering. I've forgotten all but one thing that the preacher said. The point that he made was that the Good Samaritan is a type of Jesus. Samaritans were hated by the Jews and Jesus is hated by the world, the unbelieving world. As the prophet Isaiah said, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. People don't mind a baby Jesus on a Christmas card. But a Jesus who was lifted up to die on a cross, bearing away their sins, they turned their faces away from that Jesus. In the story that Jesus told, the Samaritan applied oil and wine to the wounds of the injured man. The wine would have stung like crazy, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? Open wounds and someone sprinkles wine on the wounds. Whereas the oil would have been uh, so soothing. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. When a person is saved by Jesus from his sin, he is in a more desperate condition than the poor man in the story. In that the wages of sin is death and everlasting punishment in hellfire. A person is saved from his sins by Jesus when he is brought to repentance by the law, when by the grace of God he has a change of mind. And that, if you like, that repentance is the wine. It hurts, it stings, when you realise that you do not love God with your whole being and that you do not love your neighbour as yourself. That doesn't feel nice, does it? When you come to that realisation, when you have a change of mind by the grace of God. It hurts, it stings when the law convicts you of your sin. But the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God to save sinners, is the oil. It is so soothing, and that is because it tells you about the Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly fulfilled God's law. The lawyer couldn't do that, we can't do that, but Jesus fulfilled God's laws all through his life. Laws which are about love, and it tells us, that when Jesus was crucified, 
the sins of all. The Bible tells us that Jesus bear our sins in his body on the tree. Can you see that primarily this passage is not a call to you to go out and be a good Samaritan, although that's not a bad thing. You most certainly should not walk past someone who is lying left for dead in the street. But that's not primarily what the passage is about. I hope that in this passage you can see that the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ towards helpless and hopeless sinners and that includes you and me. Can you see that? That um, that man who was left for dead there by robbers. That's a picture of us, the condition that we're in because of the great enemy called sin. But as we see here in verse Well, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. People like you and me. And and you, you are someone who is truly blessed if you know that your name is written in heaven and that in the fullness of time, Christ Jesus came to you and he rescued you from your sin. Amen.